0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Steven Ebers. Today's episode is brought to you by Rack Daddy Minerals. Head over to rackdaddyminerals.com right now, and you can save yourself 10% off of any product on their website if you plug in the code 573 at checkout. We've got a month till season, and I am trying to locate any and all bucks surrounding my area. Right now, I'm pumping my established mineral sites full of barely legal Now here in Missouri, we cannot bait, but the ingredients that are in barely legal are actually legal for the Missouri hunting season. So I can hunt over that mineral site, but also I can continue to use that mineral site during the season to get good deer pictures. Now also, Rack Daddy Minerals sells some deer urine, and here pretty soon I'm going to be putting my cameras over scrapes and starting to refreshen up those with some of the Rack Daddy Minerals Deer urine, So, just a few things. Um, they've got a lot of other attractants that uh, bring them in and give them what they want. So, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. We are talking with Jake Hofer of Exodus Outdoor Gear. Jake has his own podcast called The Lamb Podcast and he's been doing that for about a year now. He's got a bunch of guys on, just your average Joe guys or guys from the hunting industry that have bought land. It's been really interesting listening to that podcast, so I had to get him on here to talk about recreational land. Jake is actually a real estate agent also who sells land, and he has recently and owner of two different parcels here in the last year. So he has quite a bit of experience, and also he has the experiences of the guests that he's had on and talked to in the land world. So I think it's a pretty interesting episode. You know, um, this is going to be a podcast to basically introduce land buying. I think we'll probably have some future recreational land buying podcasts and you can head over to the Land Podcast right now and get your fix because I've learned so many creative ways to purchase land that right now I'm really in the process of trying to find land to purchase. So it's been really helpful for me and it's also really interesting, even if you're not ready, that when the time comes that you get ready. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. i really excited for this one. Let's go ahead and get into it. rolling i have jake hofer from exodus outdoor gear really excited to have you on the show man
1: thanks for having me man I, we've had to reschedule here a little bit but i'm i'm really excited to dive into to everything here today thanks for having me hey uh, we, we we're making it work i appreciate the flexibility
0: you know i've been a big fan of the exodus crew for a few years now um, whether it's, you know, listening to your guys' podcast, watching Whitetail Cribs, or just watching some of your how-to videos for deer hunting and running trail cameras. So I'm really excited about all this.
1: Yeah, we appreciate that. It's been a lot of work and we have a lot of awesome people here in place at Exodus that uh, we have a wide variety of content and personalities and hunting styles. So, you know, we try to have something for everybody.
0: Before we, you know, jump into what we're gonna jump into today, I kinda wanna our listeners to kind of get to know you a little bit and kind of how you got into the outdoor space and kind of your come up. Cause I think, you know, there was a recent video kind of like a memoir of you
1: and how you came up. And I just think it was really interesting. Yeah. So um, depending on how far you want to go back, grew up on a small deer farm and um, went to college in Iowa for a full tuition scholarship. They actually closed my going into my junior year in the summer. And uh, apparently they gave away too many free scholarships because they went out of business. And uh, so then went to uh, Western and I I was really infatuated with business and hunting. And so really throughout kind of my entire college time, I started a small deer scent company because we had deer. I was like, well, these kind of match up pretty, pretty easily deer pee every day. It'd be free. <laughs> we already have the deer. So like it kind of made sense. And then I wanted to have a, a cool value proposition of like shipping the freshest deer pee possible. So I did that. And then I wrote for a, a website called Wide Open Spaces. And ironically enough, you know, throughout that time, it was kind of finding different stories, different companies to cover. And Exodus was just getting ready to release their Lift One. And I remember when they announced that they were going to have a five-year warranty and theft and damage protection. That was absolutely no one has done that in that space. So I reached out and uh, had a phone interview. I can remember it my that summer in my junior year of college and like broke down the story of how Exodus was getting started and you know everything that is still in place today which is really cool and then as luck would have it I would uh, end up interning with them and then ended up buying a, a good chunk of the company and been with them for five and a half years now.
0: That's awesome man and I feel like since you've jumped aboard, it's just been go, go, go with you guys. You guys are interviewing, you know, the biggest names in the industry right now. And so it's really good content you guys are producing. And I don't know if you have a lot to do with that, but it seems like you
1: do. Appreciate it, man. Well, I tell you what, we have, we do have, we're really fortunate with the people that we're able to connect with and have conversations with. Sometimes I have to like pinch myself. As, like If I had a dream up of who I wanted to talk deer hunting about, like with, I've talked with them and it's so crazy to think that. Um, and I'm really fortunate for that and I don't take it for granted. Awesome.
0: Now, you also,
1: somewhere in the midst of that, got your real estate license too? Yeah, I got my real estate license my senior year of college and um, started, I mean, it started kind of slow to be completely honest. I was fresh out of college. Um, I was living out of the, and my wife now, uh, girlfriend then, we lived out of the suburbs of Chicago. She had a job at Agco, which is like a tractor company. And I worked remotely. For Exodus, so I was like, well, I can I can move wherever it doesn't matter, and then so when I was there, I didn't really do too many deals, but then eventually moved back to where uh, originally from, and then that's where real estate really started to get a started to get a footing in that space and started doing a lot more deals, and that's been really rewarding and fun too because it, it's such a rewarding process to help someone buy their first piece of ground because. I went through that process as well. And I just know how much it meant to me and how much it means to other people and to like kind of be their helping hand or guidance in that is super rewarding. So I've been, uh, I've had my license as well since I think for five and a half years and it's been such a fun thing. Met so many great people.
0: Well, on top of doing everything with Exodus, um, you've recently branched out and started your own podcast, The Land Podcast. And, you know, you had mentioned that you find it really rewarding to, Sell somebody their first piece of ground or a piece of ground that they've always wanted. So, what was your inspiration for the podcast and getting it started?
1: Yeah, that is something I thought about for a while. And it's what kind of birthed it was number one. Actually, there's a handful of things. The first one was whenever I had, whenever I saw like Terry Drury or Dan Prez was on a podcast talking about land, I just, I was so pumped to go on and listen to it. And I was like, how come there isn't just one catered to that? Like, there's plenty to talk about. So that was one of the things that kind of inspired me. The other thing was talking with people who had done like 15, 20 deals, and then talking to a guy that's just saved up money, uh, is ready to shop to buy his first piece of ground. The difference of knowledge between the two of them was like almost unfair <laughs> to what I, you know, what I felt. And I was like, well, how do we help educate everyone to where they are at least a little bit more, um, a little bit more educated going into the first farm, so it can be an awesome decision and it's a good one versus kind of going in half blind because I think that uh myself like there's a level of ignorance as you're just getting started so just to help educate as many people and the other thing too is so we have basically experts on there and then we also have people that bought their first piece of ground and they walk through the entire process of how they did it you know like talk about what the career that they have and uh one of them that stands out is a friend of mine as well but he is a school teacher like he was a school teacher in his late 20s bought a piece of ground and he, like talks how he went through that entire process and I think people can think, like, if a school teacher can do it, then I can definitely do it with my job as well. So it's it's kind of to help inspire people, too, to take action.
0: Yeah, I mean, just since I was a young guy, you know, I've been wanting to get into getting some land for deer hunting and maybe just, like, something as an investment as well for the future. And it's always been intimidating. I never really knew kind of what it took to get into buying land. And I think for a lot of people, that is pretty true. You know, a lot of intimidation goes into buying a piece of land. It's a really expensive, uh, uh, I guess you could say adventure. And um, so, you know, what would you say to a either first time land buyer or somebody that's trying to look into start um, getting interested in buying land? What advice would you give?
1: Man, there's, um, there's a lot of different things. I think one of the most important things is like figuring out where you're at financially, uh, whether that is like what you can afford, what you can com- comfortably afford, talking to the bank. I know I've talked about this a bunch on the Land Podcast, people are probably annoyed by it, but like talking with a good bank is such an important and critical pro- step in the process to where like once you have strong footing and foundation with that and you know exactly where you stand, like you can go in and shop with so much more confidence because I think if you start backwards, you're looking at some of these farms, you're like, man, I you know, I think I can afford it. Or like, I think I can get the loan versus like, you see it go live. You already talk to the bank. Like you're good to go. You go and write an offer, boom, and you get it. Cause with how it's been in the past, you know, like the last two years or so, good farms have moved pretty quickly. And so if you're starting that process simultaneously with like finding the farm, then go and talk to the bank. And then like, you're going through that. That's a three or four day process to get pre-approved. And then you're writing an offer. It's already gone. So like that whole process I think is really, really important. The other thing too, is I think there's people that get, Uh, a little bit too picky, I think, in terms of just like, they're just waiting for the perfect farm. The next thing that they know, 10 years goes by and they still don't own a farm and like prices have doubled to that point, uh, just based off the rule 72, like how long, like 6% appreciation is probably going to double close to that 10 year timeframe. So it's like, it's just having the banking nailed down, knowing where you're at financially, really honing in what you really actually want. And then just realizing that you're not probably going to buy your forever farm or perfect farm on the first one, but just, just get started time in the market beats time in the market. And, uh, like just don't just go in there with realistic expectations. Okay.
0: And so what would a buyer need to know? And I'm sure getting with a banker, they'd probably be able to say all this, but I know with your real estate background, you, you probably know it right off the top of your head get this information out there. What would a buyer need to know before purchasing or
1: making a land purchase? So it depends on every bank, but in in theory, usually they want two years tax returns, um, some pay stubs, and basically your debt to income ratio is another big one. So for instance, uh, you would have like if you had a home mortgage, you had a credit card or two, and then you had a truck payment. Like all those would all go up against your debts, and then you would have, uh, you know, hopefully that new land purchase would be part of your your debt, and then like your income ratio. So all the gross income that you have come in, and that's got to stay. I want to say below 45%, which I don't suggest getting close to 45% because if you do that, man, there's there's not going to be much to live on. But regardless, that's kind of what they're looking for to fall into those parameters. The it's a little bit different though because, and I'm not a lender, so take it with a grain of salt. But like for instance, a 30-year mortgage that is a conventional loan that, you know, majority of people probably have for their primary residence. A lot of those get sold in the aftermarket. With a lot of these land loans, they're actually, they stay in house and so that makes underwriting just a little bit different. So, I mean, that's kind of a 30,000 foot view, but hopefully that provides some clarity. Just basically, similar to if you went through the process of buying a house, pretty similar to that. Okay, and you know, what have you
0: seen? I mean, you're talking to all kinds of different people on the podcast. What are some of your favorite, you know, strategies or creative down payments, um, banking options that you have learned while doing the podcast or just being out in the field
1: selling land? There's a lot of – that's a good question because I think that there's a, a lot of ways to skin the cat and aim to get in the game. Um, one of them was – I know someone actually used uh, – their they had their truck paid for, and they used uh, – they put a land up against their truck just to get the down payment <laughs> to start with that. And that was for a rental property. So that was one of them. Uh, and I'm not necessarily suggesting these either, but I'm giving you all the creative ones. Um, in terms of your house, let's say you have a house and you let's say you have it paid off. So you, you somehow paid off your house and it's a it's $100,000 house. You can borrow up to 80% of that and refinance it. So like for instance, you could hypothetically take 80 grand out of your house, put that as a down payment on your new farm. And so that's a, another option. But I mean, there's all these creative ways, but I don't think that necessarily creative is the best. I mean, there's obviously, if there's a will, there's a way. And you listen to someone like Bill Winkie's story, how it was like all tied together, like with shoestrings in some level of just like a, a house of cards. I don't necessarily, it can work and it also could work, not work and it'd be a, a, a terrible thing. So I would just say, you know, saving up that 20% is probably the safest route, at least to get started. Um, but knowing your level of risk tolerance is, is probably the most important thing. Cause there's some people that have Way more risk tolerance than me, and I I feel like I'm pretty risk adverse. But they make me blush.
0: Yeah, no, I'm uh, just being an avid listener to your your podcast. There, there's been some really creative ways about doing things, but I'm always thinking to myself, you know what what are they you know putting on the line for that? And so you're right on the risk tolerance thing, and then just you know guys that have been doing it that don't necessarily have high paying jobs or anything like that they're just finding creative ways to save money you know and they're getting that down payment they're playing it a little bit more safe but also just you know your podcast does a lot is is it says that any regular guy can do it it's just is that a priority to you or not
1: yeah perfect yeah and I think that's too where a lot of people just they diligently save for a couple of years, or maybe they get a side hustle or a side gig just to make a little extra money, put it to the side. Um, but yeah, to to your point, if if there's a will, there's a way, and it's that's where all these people have in common is they they put a plan together and they execute against it. Yeah. So um, I actually bought I bought two farms last year. I was really lucky to do so. I didn't ever dream that was possible. Um, but so I bought it would have been last August. Um, I bought a farm and it was really, I'm really happy with it. Uh, like it's been such a, it's been such an exciting thing because it to, to the point I was just talking about where people are like, the farm isn't perfect. I mean, I'll be the first to say it, but I, as I was going in and potentially like deciding if I wanted to buy it or not, I was like, man, I'm going to be, you know, a little upset if another better farm comes available or something else like that. And, Mentally, I've obviously I look at the market all the time because that's my job. But there hasn't been anything else that it's been like, oh man, I wish I would have waited for for this or that. And I think that's a really good illustration of like once once the checks off enough boxes, like just move forward and, and like roll with the punches. So I, I bought that farm, and ironically too, <laughs> where where things were on the upward trend like pretty aggressively, like people were like, oh, that's way too overpriced, even post so that was in August and now we're almost it's a year later now I mean the, the market had even gone up even more since then and that's where it's like you just can't hem haw and like just like you can just watch the world go by really fast if you're not willing to pull the trigger so that bought that farm and I put in a new plot this year, put in a, like a 300 gallon water hole on it. And like, so this has been really fun just to work on that. And there still has a really long ways to go, like to unleash the full amount of potential. And then I ended up buying a house of 40 acres as well. This past year, it was actually my great, great grandparents and they, it skipped, a gen, it skipped two generations and I somehow got lucky into buying it. And so this one isn't necessarily like a, my other farm's is a better deer hunting farm than this one, but it's really like, it's, I think it's everyone's dream to live on a house of 40 acres. So i I feel so freaking lucky to to sit here and record right now and work and and work in things that I really enjoy. And uh, it's been a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice, but I'm extremely thankful for it.
0: Yeah, have you ever gone on? I mean, I listen to a lot of your episodes, man, because i I'm really, you know, I think I don't know who come up with the term, but I always attribute it to bigger pockets that I'm kind of a tire kicker you know I yeah. just I'm kind of watching the market all the time but I haven't really dipped in um, but what I was gonna say was have you told your story on your podcast yet
1: um, I think I have I know I did like a monologue last year when I bought um, when I bought uh, the house in 40 acres but I haven't really broke down the entire process to where it's like other people have done on on the podcast as guests so maybe that's something I need to do in the, in the near future Cause I think, uh, there might be some things there. People might think I'm crazy. One of the two.
0: (laughs) Well, you'd mentioned that when you're looking for a farm, you know, if it checks a lot of boxes that, you know, you should go for it. And I'm just curious, you know, maybe what were the boxes that you wanted checked off before purchasing a piece of property?
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the bigger things, uh, so to work through it, semi price was the biggest one. I'm I'm not a super wealthy guy by any means. So like something I could afford, uh, something I wanted to ideally have it be like 20 to 30 minutes within my house. And this one was closer than that. So that was a huge one. And the biggest thing is like, if I wanted to drive by it every day, I could not say I will, but I just wanted it closer. And I know not everyone has that opportunity depending on where you live in the country, but I live in a rural area. So that was pretty realistic. So that was another big one. The other one is I wanted it within uh, a mile or two of a certain terrain feature uh, because that's where the majority of the really big deer are killed. So that was another one that was this farm checked that off. And the other thing was it was a really raw farm. So it wasn't, it was logged super heavily. So it's really ugly and it was all south facing. And so to me, I was like, okay, this is a ton of potential, a ton of sunlight. Like there's really no limiting factor to what this farm could be. And I, that was something I just wanted to go in and be able to put like my fingerprint on it and, and design it how I want. Now, I will be completely honest, it is a lot more work than what than what people make it look like on YouTube. <laughs> it's been it's been uh, like what I wanted to accomplish in one year. I've probably done a quarter of that and that's a variety of like work travel and everything else. But that was the other thing of just having something that I could go in and truly improve and, and make it a better farm and just learn along that process. The other thing that with that farm, I've had uh, state biologists out there, federal biologists out there, and I've learned so much from those folks that it's been I've learned so many new invasive plants and all these different like ways to to treat them effectively and like that in itself has been so much fun just to learn all these different things because like talk to all these deer hunters, like we have 300 some episodes of the Exodus podcast. So like I've talked to a lot of those people multiple times and like, I, you, you get a pretty good foundation of what that looks like on how to hunt mature bucks, but like unlocked an entire new category of information, which uh, it's so much fun. It's so, it's so interesting.
0: Yeah. It's one thing I think to hear about it on a podcast, but then you bring a biologist out to the property and you're looking at that property and just the application of everything starts to really sink in that, you know, it, it's a lot of work. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. Did you say that how many acres was this property you got?
1: Uh, So this one is a little bit under 40.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was going to say I have a – I do own a little bit of land um, just kind of to start. I own 17 acres, and I can tell you that just in those 17 acres how um, I agree with you because it it is a lot of work just to get exactly what you want. And would you say that getting a biologist out there first thing is probably the most appropriate thing to do because I probably
1: should have done that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and the only reason I got biologists out there, it kinda ha- happened by accident. So this, to, to go into this process of uh, that purchase, so this was my first farm, and I'm representing myself as a buyer, I'm licensed. And so I'm going through this entire process, and I'm just like doing some general due diligence. I'm looking at this website, and it shows up that this farm is in some special protection on this database. And I'm like, what the hell, like if that wasn't disclosed. And uh, so I'm going through all this process of like, well, what is it? And it was like with the IUCN, which is an international organization to protect land. That's a special, you know, special, special land is basically how they put it. And I'm just like, what the hell? So like this happened like a week before closing or what it was supposed to be the closing. So I'm like going through all this process and I'm trying to contact the IUCN to see if there's protections on this ground. Cause if there's protections on it, I don't necessarily want to buy it for the price I'm buying. Like if I can't build a house or not that I have any intention to do it, but someone else down the road might. And so I'm going through this, through this entire process. I reach out to this contact in Washington, DC. They send me to some place in England then they send me to this place in Ireland. And like, I'm just getting like kicked down the can. And this is like during peak COVID as well. So no one's in the office. And so we had to push back the closing. And so I'm going through this whole process and my bank at this point is like, well, I don't, we're not sure if we want to lend on this, if it's protected. So I go through this entire process and the long and short of it was, it was a voluntary program and the owner from two, two owners previously, there was some special bulb on there, like some special plant, um, that's on hill prairies. And so Essentially, it was a voluntary program. I got the answer that there was no stipulations on the land, but through that whole process, I was contacting the state biologists and the federal biologists to see if they knew anything about the farm, they didn't. But then they're like, well, if it was in this program, we would be more than happy to go look at it. And so I was able to get a lot of really smart people out there really fast because it was in this category. But that's, uh, that was, like even, even as a, a person that had, had done a lot of deals and helped represent anyone, I'm kind of glad that was me because if it was Klein, I would have felt kind of bad because it was, it was a madness, man. It was like, oh my gosh, it was crazy to try to get those answers and no one will give you a straight answer, but that's kind of a long winded, crazy way how I got uh, state and federal biologists out there pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking how would somebody in Ireland know what's going on with a
1: parcel less than 40 acres in, <laughs> you know, yeah. the middle in of Illinois. Lake. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, and it's just because it's, if you Google the IUCN, like it's this different thing, like there's different categories. And, uh, I mean, I got an education on what that is now. And so now, um, I actually, which is kind of interesting too. I ended up selling an auction parcel and, uh, it was a really, really cool farm, really special. And a a nonprofit group actually bought it at auction. And this was in one of those same categories of the IUCN category four. And, And I, the long, long and short of it is, basically if it's in this catalog, it's, um, they, they have a definition for it, but like basically it's, it's a rare piece of ground. And so that's why I ended up buying, which is really cool to own kind of a a rare piece of ground. It's not just a a normal piece because of how it lays out and where it's at. But I didn't know that really going into it to be honest. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Are you, are you of the mindset that this is something that you're going to try to get in there, put your thumbprint on use for a few years and then kind of turn it around
1: turnkey or, or do you have plans yet? <laughs> and it's tough. I go back and forth. Um, I really like the farm and I felt like I got it for a really fair price. And it's not a crazy amount of money to service. It's like, man, it is it, close to my house. Like, so it's really not to say I never would sell it, but like, I really do like the farm. It wasn't, I, I bought it because I liked it. I didn't buy it cause I thought I could make money on it. Now in, inadvertently, when I improve it and, you know, like force appreciation and then obviously the appreciation land has had. Sure. I could sell it and make a little bit of money, but that wasn't my goal going into it. So it's just hard to say if, um, if something else comes up or I hear of something else that's going to be coming up for sale, i I may sell it to free up money to go into the next one. But man, I really do like the parcel. It's, I just love it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, are you, it sounds like you're still in the land buying, you know, process, like you're still wanting to buy
1: more and more. Yeah, that's accurate. And, it, and it's tough too, because I like some of the guests that we have where like Flint Coke comes to mind. Uh, I don't know if you listen to him. He's from Missouri uh, as well. And he talked about how he bought a farm and then he ended up selling that farm and buying multifamily houses. And then now his multifamily houses pays for his hunting farms. And I'm like, that is a really smart, like way smarter way to do that. And I thought of the same thing. Like I was going to buy a duplex or I was going to buy this farm. And I was like, I just want to buy this farm because I like hunting more than I like a duplex. But now I wonder like if I would have bought the duplex, it would have paid for that farm. So like that's, that's something I really struggle with of like, what is the best way? And I know that there's a lot of different ways to find success. So I go back and forth of, well, maybe I do want to buy another farm or maybe I need to buy a rental property or two because I'm, I'm hundred percent self-employed. So, um, it would be nice just to have some guaranteed income. And
0: that is where the tire kicker in me comes. Is that you know I listen to an episode like that, and I'm like, man. And I'd already been thinking about maybe I should just start doing rentals first, and then you know be able to afford uh, a bigger parcel. But I'm like you in the fact that man, I would rather just have a piece of property right now, so I could start killing deer right now on it and doing what I yep. want to do to it. So I'm I'm definitely uh, yeah analysis paralysis. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And that's, you just got to make a decision and rock with it, but it it is tough because it's like, there's so many ways, there's so many ways to find success. Like you could just buy the farm and end up improving it and selling it and still making a good return and enjoy hunting it. Or it's just, it's tough, man. I struggle with it as well. So you think if you end up selling that less than 40 acres
0: that, you know, you, now that you know what you got yourself into as far as that program and
1: everything that it'll be easier for the next buyer um. Yeah, I think it definitely will It will be for a variety of reasons, just from documentation of, of trail cameras and the improvements. So I like, brought in a, a skid steer uh, about a month ago and carved out like a half food plot strategically. There was a food plot on the other part of the farm. I'm going to put that into bedding. So like, it's definitely going to be a better farm than the day I walked on it when I bought it. Um, but like I said, it's I'm not doing those things just for – I'm, I'm doing those because I want to do them because I think that's what the place needs and I'm not doing it. I'm not going to slap up a few box blinds and, and put up some cameras and then try to remarket it just to make money. But whoever, whenever we get to that point, I think someone's going to be really happy to buy it. And all the research I've done on the parcel definitely can explain more than what I knew going into it. And uh, so, that, yeah, those are all different. Yeah, that's definitely a good point.
0: So I know that one of your goals was to, you know, starting the podcast was to get 100 different buyers how close are you guys to that
1: man i'm in the 30s which is really crazy so the land podcast is just a little over a year old and a little over 30 now a lot of those are people that just simply send an email and they're like hey i just bought my first farm thank you for what you do and like that energizes me so much because i mean that's that's why i do it and man i'm i'm overwhelmed with the amount of work i have a lot of times and it's like it's like you know i started this project and like people you can see people download it first day it's, you know, released every single week. And like people were sitting there waiting for that. And it feel like as long as I'm providing value, I'll continue to do it. But, uh, we're chopping away pretty quick to that hundred. I thought it would take me a lot longer, but to be a third of the way there already is insane. Yeah. Um,
0: just from being a listener, um, you know, I, I do look forward to it. I think it was every Monday and, you know, every Monday I'm like, okay, this is going to be the week. I'm, I'm going to go buy something. <laughs> It gets you that extra motivation to get in there and, and keep looking. So I it, it does go a long way.
1: Yeah. Well that's that I really appreciate that. It's been fun. It's uh actually this week I'm going to knock on wood going to Iowa and gonna record a skip Sly, hopefully. So I know we did a I did an episode with him which was a really good one. And so I'm actually gonna be at his farm. So that should be a really good episode and then recording with a guy named Steve Hansen who um like was part of the Iowa boom of, of land in that part of the Iowa. And he'll tell his stories. He's bought and sold the over 20 farms. So it's, it's going to be, we're going to have some really good episodes coming up here soon. I'm really pumped about it. Sweet,
0: sweet. Yeah, no part one for Skip's lie was, was pretty good. Um, yeah. So before we wrap this up, cause you know, I think we've touched on quite a bit of stuff here for people to percolate and then head over and, and listen to what you got going on over there so they can really get into the details of things I just want to know, you know, your opinion. All right. This is an advice, you know, so people out there listening, you know, Jake is just like us. We, you know, we'll never know what it's going to be, but I'm just curious where you see the market heading in the next six months when it comes to land and uh, how, how you're going to, you know, react to it.
1: Yeah. I, man, I, I don't know. I would say I have a, a handful of thoughts and ideas. I would say, that the rising interest rates is definitely going to limit a lot of people on the amount of farm that they can afford. I would say that's probably one of the, the biggest things. So people are going to be able to afford less going into the next six months. Um, I also think that there's going to be some disgruntled sellers, meaning they saw their neighbors sell their farm last year or like four months ago, five months ago for a, a really high premium. And the market shifted since then, not a crazy amount, but there's not as many buyers uh, lined up and which creates less demand which obviously eventually can apply lower the prices or soften them a little bit so I think that as a buyer right now like it's I think this was even said in skip's podcast was like be uh, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy right now people are fearful um like just how I talk with buyers now that are calling them like well you know interest rates are you know going up and we're in a technical recession all these different things right now if I was a buyer I'd be salivating because there's sellers that are equally scared right now that are like well And in reality of this, like once the official, official announcement of the recession is whenever it is in September, like the worst is already going to be probably be behind us at that point. So like right now I feel like we're in the thick of a buying opportunity in my opinion, because everyone's just programmed by the news of like, you know, for whatever, you know, whatever your opinion on that. But so like right now it would actually excite me as a buyer. And from a selling perspective, I would still say that, you know, it, there's always a good time. There's always a buyer out there. It's just finding that price. But right now as a buyer, if I was in your shoes, I'd be really, I'd be really excited because interest rates, I think are probably going to continue to go up. And uh, I would just say people are a little scared right now, which could be a really great opportunity to buy. And there's more farms coming to market, at least in my area. Uh, so there's more inventory, more to pick from, which is obviously a good thing too, because before there's was not a lot to pick from, but there's some really good farms. There's two, there's two that I see right now listed in my area that if I was going to be buying my first farm... Um, I would have happily bought either one of those as my first farm, so i I think that's a, that's a good thing too for buyers
0: now that that speaks volumes um and you know at the end of the day you you're right in the fact that you know people are are worried right now sellers included because you know the buyers are are getting scarce and you know you could always refinance later down the road uh, with these interest
1: rates and really a five and a half or five percent interest rate on land historically still really good. Um, it's not like we've just all been conditioned and I think I've said this on, on my podcast or maybe it was the one that was like, we've all been conditioned of like this crazy time where farms are selling a week and people are getting 3% interest rates. That's not healthy or sustainable. Like we're getting back to what is more normal, where it takes a little bit of time to sell, believe it or not, a million dollar piece of property. Like it should in all times, like that's kind of how it's a very expensive piece of real estate to sell. And it's, it's just crazy that how fast all that moved for a period of time. But like before that it would take. I mean, I know agents that would get a one-year listing agreement on a farm like that because that's how long they thought it'd take it to sell it.
0: Yeah, it's been wild the last couple of years. No doubt about that. Things have been moving quick. I think things are starting to slow down. I know that there's a lot of people hoping for a crash and, you know, you may see a little bit in the housing market, but I just don't know about the land as much. I just don't. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, and even like, for instance, like the tillable space, and I'm not, I'm not an expert on tillable ground and I won't even pretend to be, but as long as the only thing that has me a little bit concerned with that space is uh, if commodities do drop, I think that would be a little, little concerning. Obviously there's a variety of reasons why it seemed like, you know, corn and beans went up so high and those, those reasons aren't here forever. So that would be one thing that has me just a little bit nervous, but I, like I said, I don't even want to pretend to be an expert in that space, but also the reason I bring that up is because recreational ground, Oftentimes follow those tillable in some form or fashion. So, but I think I think where the new floor is is going to be higher than what was the high two years ago. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. As a real estate agent, you know, selling land, do you notice that? I mean, this we're approaching the deer season here. Do you notice that a lot of farms go up for sale right before deer season, or? You-
1: yeah, it's weird because. Yeah, I have noticed a few more farms that went up for sale here, but it's it's actually really funny because I think the busier time for me when I'm selling a lot of farms is usually when people get done at the season. They list their farm up for sale and it's someone that just had a really crappy season the year before. They're like, screw it. I'm buying a farm. I'm sick of this. I'm, I got kicked off the lease or I'm not hunting with that joker anymore. And they go buy a farm. So that is something that I've noticed a lot where people are buying farms at the beginning part of the year. And then the other op- option too, or something I see often is a lot of farms end up going for sale like September, October, November for a variety of reasons. Um, but right now it definitely some more farms hitting the market, but like the, the dog days of this business, in my opinion, like May, June, July, it's usually pretty slow. Um, historically, but you can, I've looked at Google search trends and hunting land for sale peaks in November. So obviously i don't think a lot of those people actually buying land but law of averages i think that's when people are like i'm sick of hunting public ground i'm sick of sharing ground i'm sick of hunting the family back 40 with uncle whatever being a jerk that's that's typically what happens i think sure sure so um before we jump off here can you go ahead and like plug your content
0: where people can find your pages and um i know you the exodus crew is got some new
1: products out you know if you want to plug any promotions or sales on there too that'd be cool yeah yeah. Really appreciate it. I've uh, definitely enjoyed uh, the conversation. So uh, Exodus, you can find us at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Uh, uh, we have YouTube channel. I think we're going to have like four or five uploads every single week. So we have a team that's working really hard. Uh, we have three editors that just do a ton of work and so thankful for what they're doing. And then we have uh, the Exodus podcast every single Tuesday, the land podcast every single Monday, the deer gear podcast every single Friday. Uh, it's released the Exodus MMT, which is a tailored arrow that we've been working on for a while. And uh, so basically you go and you put the specs of what you're shooting and we build you a ta- tailored arrow for what you're using. So that's really exciting. That was a product that we kind of had under our hat since like 2016. But we finally decided to, you know, once the we got more established in the trail camera space to, to dive into it. And uh, we have more updates in that space or product space coming down the pipeline. So uh, you can follow me on Instagram. That is Jay Hofer. And uh, we have a YouTube channel for that too. So it's like some of the clips from the podcast. I have a video version up, though, so if you're not someone that wants to listen to an hour podcast, you can go find the highlights on the YouTube channel.
0: Right on, right on. I enjoyed the conversation, too, Jake. Um, It's always fun talking land and hunting, and that's how we do it on the 573, guys. We'll see you on the next one.